Good morning, church, on this All Saints Day, 1st of November. We're so glad you're here with us in person and watching from home. Uh, we are glad to be uh, together as one body in Christ. So thank you for joining us this morning. Um, Tuesday, 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 anything going on Tuesday? Yes, Holy Spirit Night, the upper room sessions uh, are every other week gathering here in the worship center um, to just seek the Lord, feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. This week is the week. I honestly cannot think of anything better to do on election day <laughs> than to be in the house of the Lord seeking his face. Uh, so that begins at 630 6.30, as I said, um, here in the worship center. Just come to the worship center doors, and there's no agenda. There's some worship, but certainly just a time of prayer and, uh, and again, seeking the presence of the Spirit. So we'd love to see you then. Um, and as it is the 1st of November, oftentimes our thoughts go towards the holidays and those less fortunate. In your bulletin and for you guys at home uh, in the Friday email is a list of ways that you can give back. It has been a remarkable year, to say the least, and uh, and so if your hearts are turned towards those uh, who might be less fortunate or struggling this holiday season, I'd encourage you to give back. Uh, any KLC leaders, if you're wanting to do something with your KLC, talk to me and I'll help you coordinate and make that happen, um, but uh, let this be a season of generosity and let it begin today. So uh, with that, um, if you are able to give to SEC, you have been so faithful. I'm seeing reports of churches and their giving has really taken a hit this year for good reason. Uh, you guys have remained faithful and that is such a blessing to us as leadership to see how you support the ministry and the work of SEC. So thank you. You can continue to give either by leaving your gifts uh, at the baskets or the boxes as you leave today or certainly give online in a safe and secure way that way. So uh, thank you for all that you do for us and for this ministry. Uh, with that, I'd like to invite Pastor Eric up. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for this beautiful day, and thank you for the opportunity to live in this place. And Lord, um, we're hearing so many messages uh, of conflicting uh, thoughts on our future, Lord, but we rest solidly and we rest assuredly that you are our king and we are members of your kingdom. So, Lord, as we hear this message from Pastor Eric, I pray that you would quiet our fears, that you would calm our hearts, and that you would help us to remember and feel your presence and power as our king. For thy kingdom come and thy will be done. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Natalie. So, uh, over the weekend, I was listening a little bit to uh, Joe Biden's stump speech and listening a little bit to uh, CNN and uh, came to the conclusion that Unless we remove the president from office, we are done with. We are toast as a nation. This weekend, I was spending a little bit of time listening to President Trump's stump speech. 
I was watching Fox News just a little bit, and I came to the conclusion that if Joe Biden gets into office, we are done. We are toast. Where does that leave us? We're either red toast or blue toast, but we're still toast as a nation, right? If you believe what Natalie was saying, all these different messages, yikes, we are in trouble. And it doesn't matter who wins, at least half of the nation thinks we're toast, right? We're so divided. I want to suggest that the Lord is allowing some of this so that the church might recognize an opportunity. That's a, that's a different way to think about it, isn't it? That, that perhaps we are not meant to be knee-deep in the blue or in the red, but perhaps we're meant to be purple. I don't have purple sunglasses. I'm sorry, but I wore my purple shirt just so you could kind of get that. that. I want to suggest that part of human nature is that our vision is bad. It's corrupted first and foremost by our own sin. Yes? And then we're fed many different lenses by which to see the world and understand the world. And what Scripture does and what I would argue Revelation does and the kingdom of God does, it can act like corrective lenses so that we see the world correctly. But I want to argue that if we are so steeped in one color of lens, it's really hard to see the kingdom value of all sides. Yes? Okay, now last week we started our series on Jesus and politics and we looked at Jesus' brilliant phrase, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And we talked about this dynamic of a, of a holy separation from the process and yet an a intentional and strategic engagement in the political process. We talked a little bit about church and state and the relationship between the two, and we left with this analogy. We talked about ambassadors being ambassadors for Christ or what we would call Kingdom ambassadors. That comes from 2 Corinthians 5.20 where Paul is talking that we've been given this message of reconciliation that God is speaking to the world, that God is on the move and because of the gospel we are called 
his ambassadors. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, Paul says, as though, which is an incredibly humbling statement, as though God were making his appeal through us. Wow. God wants to use our voice. God wants to use our influence in such a way that we would be his ambassadors. Again, I want to suggest that if we are knee-deep into the process on either side, it's going to be that much more difficult to be ambassadors for Christ. In our Kingdom Ambassadors class, you can tell this has been a theme of mine for a while now, where it's our discipleship and leadership development class, we talked about one of the most famous ambassadors that I could think about. Any kingdom ambassador class remember who's the most famous ambassador that we talked about? She's not alive today. She was a Hollywood star. Shirley Temple, yes, Shirley Temple. Uh, Shirley Temple was not just a Hollywood star, but did you know that she was appointed ambassador of two countries, Ghana and Czechoslovakia? And in fact, her impact, especially on Czechoslovakia in the time, was profound. Now, ambassadors are meant to be the personal representatives of the home country's head of government. So the president, it was George Herbert Bush that happened to appoint Shirley Temple as an ambassador to Czechoslovakia. So she was his personal representative to the nation of Czechoslovakia. And at the same time, ambassadors are meant to represent the values, the values of the nation from which they are from. Shirley Temple was the ambassador in this crucial time where communism, where Czechoslovakia was wrestling with the dominance of communism, she took an, a, a, an unusual step as an ambassador and she decided to side with the anti-communist dissenters. She was actually caught in a hotel when the Soviet-backed forces invaded the country. She took refuge in the, in the uh, top of her hotel as the tanks were rolling in. And she, she tells a story as she watched the tanks come in and the Soviet-backed uh, um, forces come in. She saw an unarmed woman gunned down in the streets. She would say it would never, never leave her that image, and it influenced in a profound way how she was an ambassador. Eventually, she played a role in what would become known as the Velvet Revolution or the Gentle Revolution, where Czechoslovakia transitioned from communism to a form of elected Government. I want to suggest, friends, that Shirley Temple is a beautiful picture for us of what it means to be ambassadors 
of Christ. I'm not encouraging tap dancing or anything like that. But I'm encouraging that, that her role, that she was mindful, that she had a role to play that was unique and even outside of the politics of the country that she was serving, that she was representing the leader of her nation and the values of her nation. And for us, we are called, especially in this time, to represent Jesus Christ alone to the political process and the values of the kingdom of God. Wherever they may be found. Now, of course, Shirley Temple's a good example. I would say slightly better than her is Jesus Christ as an example. And we're going to look at that in Luke chapter 13. We were in chapter 20 where he talked about taxes and Caesar. In 13, we're reminded again by the inspired author, of the gospel, Luke, that Jesus is ministering. He's, he's healing people, he's preaching, and he's teaching, and yet, it's at this point that he turned towards Jerusalem. And he's starting to journey towards his destiny, his death, and his sacrifice. Right, he's on his way. So he's doing, he's been teaching and healing and preaching And yet, everybody knows that he's journeying towards Jerusalem, believing that the the climactic moment of the kingdom of God is coming, though most of his followers would have articulated and understood that climactic moment, not in his death, but in his political and military victory at that moment. So we read in... Verse 31, it says, At the time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. We don't know if that was a genuine warning or they just wanted him to get out of there and not go to Jerusalem. He replied, Go tell that fox. I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day, I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow, and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. And then he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together As a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you are not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I will tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's appreciate for a moment how amazing this passage of Scripture is. What Jesus is doing here is, first of all, are you surprised that he calls Herod a fox? Yeah, not in the good way, I don't think. Right? 
There's, there's a, a word of criticism that he offers to Herod. Criticism of his leadership, how he's leading and ruling. And then what he does is he speaks in confidence, which we need to hear, that it really does not matter what Herod does or threatens, that Christ's life and destiny and purpose is in the hands of the Father. Herod does not have near the control or influence or power that he thinks he does. We need to hear that. Your life, like Christ, is in the hands of our heavenly Father. Our political leaders and rulers don't have near the power and influence they think they do. Don't give them more. It's interesting that part of the way of defining a prophetic voice is speaking truth to power. Yes, have you heard that phrase before? Interesting, Jesus says, go tell that fox. Go tell Herod. He's saying, go speak truth to power. You got nothing on me. I'm on my way. And then in another fascinating moment, he speaks prophetically to the nation of Israel. And he says, you were unwilling to receive God's love and care and security. So your house is left desolate. Most think he's talking about the temple that will be destroyed and that the manifest presence of God will be removed from that nation. That the the house is desolate in that way. It's a prophetic warning of what was about to take place in 30 to 40 years. Years And when he says, I will not return until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, he's probably talking about his second coming when the hearts of the Jewish people return to him and Christ comes back. I want to also suggest that he's not only speaking prophetically to Herod and to Israel, but he's also speaking pastorally. He's talking about a hen gathering up the chicks, the heart of the father is love. We'll talk more about that too, but I I want us to think about what would it look like if we took Jesus as a model when it comes to church and state. If we took Jesus, and to a lesser degree, but profound degree, Shirley Temple, as a model when it comes to politics. It's a powerful uh, word given uh, by um, Martin Luther King Jr. when he was pleading with the, uh, with the church in the time of the civil rights movement. And I think we have the quote, I think it's at the end, Cindy, of the, uh, sorry to do that, but it's at the very end of the, Um, outline there. But listen to this. This is Martin Luther King Jr. speaking to the church, writing to the church. He says, the church must be reminded that it's not the master or the servant of the state. If you understand it as such, you're missing the new covenant precedent. 
but rather the conscience of the state. It must be the guide and the critic of the state and never its tool. If the church does not recapture its prophetic zeal, how long ago was this said? Have we recaptured it? Most would say no. It will become an irrelevant social club without moral or spiritual authority. Many critics of culture and the church would argue that we still have not heeded Martin Luther King Jr.'s challenge to us. Jesus, in this amazing way, be mindful now that Jesus could have chosen sides. There was, the, the, there was a, a political parties that were happening. They were more diverse probably than ours and confusing, but you had the zealots. You had the, the, the Pharisees. You had the Herodians who supported Herod and Rome in a Jewish way. You had the Sadducees, but Jesus does not align himself with any of those movements. He's aligned wholly and completely with the kingdom of God. And every interaction, whether political or theological, he represents, he is an ambassador of the kingdom of God and represents the Father. In that conversation, in that dialogue, In that engagement, friends, I want to suggest that Jesus is that perfect model of being a kingdom ambassador. When he, when the Martin Luther King Jr. talks about the church, remember he's not talking about buildings and he's not talking about political movements. What's he talking about? Look at your neighbor and say, you are the church. You're you're the one he's challenging here. He's not just challenging the leaders of the church. You are the church. The people are the church. He's inviting you to have that prophetic voice, that prophetic zeal. Jesus is modeling for us that we would speak with wisdom and understanding and represent him in all conversations, especially political. Can we talk a little bit about what it means to be a prophetic voice? I realize that phrase can be a little bit challenging, but I want you to think about it in two ways of how you might become a prophetic voice. One is that the prophetic voice, if you look at the Old Testament especially, they were very, very concerned, the prophets, with any form of of injustice, that God would speak through the prophets against any form of injustice. Jeremiah is a good model. He says this, this is what the Lord says, do what is just and right. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor, the one who has been robbed. Do not wrong, do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. 
And do not shed innocent blood in this place. You can hear the heart of the Father. He said, I'm concerned about the vulnerable. I'm concerned about those who are being oppressed. I'm concerned about those who lack the power to gain real justice. He argues against the judges and the prophets and the kings. He says, when there is injustice happening in the kingdom, that's not right. Now, I want to suggest this is my opinion. Feel free to disagree with me. I've had a number of people disagreeing with me in the past week. That's fine. But in my opinion, there is one political party that has positioned itself to be the defender of the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. That through their policies and their words, they're advocating for the least of these. And I want to suggest <clears throat> that part of being an ambassador of Christ, part of having the kingdom of God lens is that we can bless and affirm those kingdom values in that political party. Not saying bless all that they see is remedy for that, all the policies that they put forth, or all that they stand for. I'm saying to be an ambassador of Christ is to be able to recognize the kingdom values in that party and bless them and say, you know, that's close to the heart of God. When you stand up against injustice, that's, that's a kingdom value. When you're advocating for the least of these, that's a kingdom value. Do you agree with me? I got more yeses than noes, all right? That's good. Friends, I want to suggest that if you are arguing a party line, if you are knee-deep and steeped into any one political party, it will be very hard for you to recognize the kingdom values in the other side. This is really nice. You're all a blur, so I have no idea if you're agreeing with me at all. I can't, I can't read you at all. Part of being an ambassador for Christ is being able to recognize God's work and God's heart in the opposing party. Um, my extended family, I've, I've shared a little bit about my extended family and, and politics. We, have, uh, we were having a, a text, a uh, group text among uh, family members. You know, those are fun and you send silly you know, pictures and all those kind of things. And it's all fun until someone introduces politics, right? Then it all goes south really fast. Yes, and so within our extended family, we have very staunch Democrats and very staunch Republicans. Yes, and we all know that, right, the, the, this. So whoever, you know, that family member that was uh, sent that text, they're poking the bear, right? And they said something along the lines of, at all means possible, every way we can, we stand in opposition to blank. 
poking the bear, right? Poking the bear, right? And go in there, and so the, the texts start, and I thought, how am I a kingdom ambassador in this text? And the best thing I could do was explain, you know, I really see kingdom values in both parties. And so I want to celebrate those kingdom values, but also critique those values that are not. If you are only arguing a party line all the time, you are not always arguing kingdom values. Choose kingdom values. You see, the other side of the coin is if you are a kingdom ambassador for your own party, then you can provide that prophetic critique. That as a Democrat or Christian, I'm advocating that, or Democrat or Republican, that you, could, you would be a Christian Democrat or a Christian Republican. And you would determine and decide today, you will not argue the party line. But you will provide a prophetic voice and a critique to both parties. And your party is going to be that, and your voice is going to be that much more significant if you're providing critique to your own party. Yes? Yes? All right, I feel great about it. Good? All right. A warning. Now, we talked about justice and injustice. There is also another aspect of the prophetic voice. That prophetic voice also talked much about righteousness and unrighteousness. The, the Hebrew root word for justice and righteousness are very similar. There's a lot of crossover in those words that are used and translated in different ways. You'd say the, the uh, righteousness talks about governmental justice, crossover, honesty, truthfulness, and even prosperity of all the people. Again, Jeremiah is an example. He, the Lord says through Jeremiah, go up and down the street of Jerusalem. Look around and consider. Search through her squares. If you can find but one person who deals honestly and seeks the truth, I will forgive this city. Bam! Sounds like Sodom and Gomorrah, doesn't it? But he's saying this about Jerusalem, the capital. He's saying, look at how unrighteousness, unrighteous this place is. No one deals honestly. No one is seeking the truth. And they're pursuing uh, falsehood. The prophets would rail against that. You can disagree with me. Again, this is part of my opinion again. But in my opinion, there is one political party that's positioned itself to reflect the Judeo-Christian values and ethics of Scripture. To, to value um, honesty and prosperity of the people. It doesn't have to mean that you agree with all the strategy and the policies of the party. 
But again, if you are arguing the party line, you're going to be able, you're going to fail in being able to um, critique and bless. If you're only in opposition, you won't be able to bless the kingdom values of the other side. I tried to use the exact same verbiage on both sides. Several presidential elections ago, my mom is going to be a little bit mad at me. She's in heaven now, and so she's going to have to forgive me, and I don't think she has a choice because she's in heaven, right? So my mom was very staunch in terms of politics, and she was trying to get me many elections ago, to vote a particular way, right? And I said, Mom, uh, yes, absolutely. I'd be more than happy to entertain voting for this individual. However, first, could you please tell me three things you really admire about the other candidate? Now, I recognize how annoying that is for a son to say that, to his mom, yes? And I'm sorry to say she couldn't do it. Like it was so hard. And what for her, all she could, when it came to politics, she saw red, or actually more specifically, she saw blue. And I was trying to get her to see purple. I was trying to get her to recognize. You know, I've shared about my mom. She was this wonderful Christian woman, really my first mentor. And I admire her in so many ways and her faith. But there was something that would happen when it came to politics that I don't fully understand. And sometimes that, that, that wisdom and that patience and that grace would be overtaken by political policy and position. And I said, that's one circumstance that I don't want to follow. I want to be purple. I want to be the kingdom of God. I don't understand fully what it means to be that way, but I want to grow in that. You and I will most likely vote Blue or red. Jesus is not on the ballot. I don't think Jesus wants to be on the ballot, but in a grander sense, we're called to articulate and talk and discuss and represent purple, right? We're going to vote blue or red, but can we add, can we speak, can we represent on social media? Now, I'm really convinced of this point. Listen, listen closely. Part of the division of today is that depending on the social media that you follow and depending on the uh, uh, television stations that you look at, we are being fed an extreme characterization of the other side. Right? It comes in. That's why I started the way I do. If you listen to either side, you get the extreme characterization, right, 
But last I check, I'm pretty sure about this. It's been suggested to me otherwise, but I'm pretty sure that neither Joe Biden or Donald Trump are the Antichrist. The last I checked, I haven't seen it at all. I'll have to go back to my end times theology, but I don't believe this election is a sign of the apocalypse. You understand? But if you listen to these stations, you're being fed that all is lost. You are being thrust upon a lens that is not biblical. And friends, to really be a prophetic voice, you're going to have to fight against that narrative, that, that characterization, the worst of the opposition, and say no. I'm looking for the values of the kingdom in both sides. I want to bless both sides. And I want to critique both sides. All right. Uh, Two crucial elements for speaking prophetically to our friends and family. And from the pulpit, by the way. One is the key element that has for communion, humility. Let me read this again. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your eye, except when it comes to politics. Then do whatever you want. And then you see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. No, no exceptions in every area, wherever you are. It doesn't matter that our politics lack tremendous humility. It doesn't matter that they're name-calling. It doesn't matter that they're losing all that sense of humility when they represent themselves. You're called to a higher standard. You're called to have a voice that's different than what you're hearing on the airwaves and in social media and on television and radio. You're called to to speak from a place of humility and reflection. Boy, wouldn't it be so neat if we were a church that first and foremost were heeding the words of Jesus there in the Sermon on the Mount. The second element is this, uncommon civility. First, Peter, Peter says this, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. Of course, he's talking about articulating the faith. Do you think that he would have us add gentleness and respect in the realm of politics? Especially, especially with our friends and family. And I don't care if they don't communicate to you with gentleness and respect. That's not a justification for us to lack humility, for us to lack civility. Right? Scripture in, is inviting us. Friends, that's how we step into this opportunity that God is providing. Some are suggesting that we are on the brink of civil war. Like literally, I've heard people argue we're, we're moving in that direction. 
What's the role the church is to play? Peacemakers. But if we're knee deep on one side, and that's what I want to talk just a little bit about, not just the pro- prophetic voice of the church, but also the pastoral voice of the church. Did you catch it in that scripture? It's a beautiful pastoral moment. It's a beautiful feminine image, really, where God is saying, Jesus is saying, you know what the Father's like? He's like a hen that just wants to, just wants to love on you, wants to, to gather you up to his bosom, to protect you and love you and feed you and teach you and care for you. But you know why he's not doing it? You are unwilling. Listen to Hosea, another Old Testament prophet, a minor prophet. He says this, Come, come, an invitation. Let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us and he will heal us. He has wounded us, and he will bind up our wounds. That's what Jesus, in part, came to do. He will revive us after two days, and on the third day, I wonder if Jesus had this in mind. He will raise us up so that we can live in his presence. This is this pastoral invitation of the love of God. I want to suggest, friends, that always when you're speaking politically, in whichever way, if you're speaking blue or red, you should always have in the back of your mind that God desperately loves the person you're communicating. That God is longing to have a relationship of intimacy and new life with the person in which that you're speaking. I would argue that what's more important is not getting them to vote the way you're voting, but getting them to say yes to Jesus. Well, I'm going to take applause. Yes, that is right. Lord. I want to say this. Would you think about a triangle, especially in these coming days? Right? Half of the country is going to be in mourning. The other half is going to be celebrating probably inappropriately, but maybe not. Maybe that's too negative. But would you think about a triangle when you're engaged with a person, when you're talking with a person, that's one leg of the triangle. We think this is the most important. But would you start praying to the Lord for that person? And would your words, whether they are prophetic or pastoral, encourage the connection between that person and the Lord? This is more important than this. Yes? All right. Yeah, that's good. I'm applauding for myself. That's funny. It's just, this is a little challenging, right, in this divisive time. Okay. The other thing I want to say about this is this is a beautiful passage that I continue to think and reflect about, and I don't always fully understand it. And yet, when God was speaking, when the people would be deported around the world, especially to Babylon, and Babylon was a very um, 
horrible nation in terms of the values of the kingdom. It was compromised. But God spoke through Jeremiah and he says, listen, this is how I want you to live in the midst of those foreign lands. He says, seek the welfare of the city. Babylon, God? I, I mean, in ba- Do you know how horrible God Babylon is? Seek the welfare of the city. I have deported you to pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it has prosperity, you will prosper. What would it be like if the church became known as as humble, as civil of discussion, and yet a source of blessing? even and especially to those that we felt in opposition to? What would it look like if the, the, the place of the church was even disagreement that didn't divide, but disagreement that led to growth and understanding and humility and maturity? What would it look like if if the church became the safe place for a Christian Democrat and a Christian Republican to disagree and wrestle and yet have the purpose of saying, hey, we want to go after the kingdom, kingdom values that you have, and I have enough humility that you might end up voting blue or red, and I might be on the other side. I have enough humility. I don't know what that is. But if we could share the goal of saying, yeah, that boy, that's a great, that's a kingdom value in your party. I see it. Can I critique a little bit? Can I challenge? Can I wrestle without you calling me the Antichrist? Without you demonizing me? Without you going after my character and my person? Without you? leaving the friendship and unfriending me on social media, right? What would it look like if the church became the voice of wisdom and critique, a prophetic voice and a pastoral voice? How beautiful would that be? I want to suggest that we have an opportunity with our friends and family after this election regardless of where it goes. We're probably going to need a little bit more of a pastoral voice than a prophetic voice in, in the days and the weeks and the months following. But what would it look like if we wore purple, if we were ambassadors for Christ, that we weren't overwhelmed or disillusioned if the other guy wins, that we represented faith and hope and trust? And down the road, what would it look like if we were able to critique in a civil, humble way? Say, boy, that's a, why I vote this way, but here's three areas that I really disagree with my own party. Here's three areas that I disagree with yours. Can we talk about this? I, I need to think about this. I need to pray about this.
want to invite uh, Jedediah up and uh, the worship team. And we decided to end the service praying that the right candidate would win. No, we decided that we would do our best to form prayers together that we would enable you to pray purple prayers. Okay? Jedediah's been working on this, so I'm going to let you lead it, Jedediah. Plagiarized. That was me saying I plagiarized. Could you um, take a moment to consider, again, just we're going to sit for a second with what Eric has said, but I think are formed nicely in these words from Ephesians, Ephesians 3, 14 through 20. And, um, yeah, let's read it together first, and then let's consider what it does for us as we seek to be ambassadors. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in all the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. We're going to inherit this prayer from Paul. He prayed it on behalf of those in Ephesus specifically. But remember how it opened, if we can go back to that first part. From whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. So we're going to adopt this prayer into our hearts and into our mouths. And we're going to pray it specifically over a few people groups in our nation. We're going to start by praying this for the sick. And as we pray this prayer, you'll see that Ephesians passage go over. You don't have to pray the exact words of Ephesians again, but pray these things, if we can go back to it, that the fullness of Christ would dwell in you. Right? That you would be blessed, that the power of the Lord would rest upon you. Let's pray for the sick in America. slower through that, Cindy. As we keep praying for the sick, let's include the poor, the unemployed, those who've lost their jobs, those who haven't had jobs, those who are not sure if they're going to be able to eat this week, that they might receive all of these blessings. Lord, would out of your glorious riches, would you strengthen them? slower
God, in this time of turmoil, of pain, of suffering, of uncertainty, Lord, would those who are sick, who are lost, through us, your church, and through your spirit, know how deep, how wide, how strong, how vast is your love for them. We pray for the lonely who have been trapped at their home. We pray for the immigrant who have no home here in America. All of these things as well. pray for those who have wealth, who have influence, that they might come to know the depth of the love of Christ and all of these things as well. Continue to pray with sincerity for those. God, even those who already have power, who already have riches, Lord, would you strengthen them with power, with your power, through your spirit, they might be strengthened in their inner being to do what is right, to do what is good, to carry that influence for the sake of righteousness and justice. these things, I hope you've got individuals on your mind who you can associate with these groups. Um, we're going to pray now for the church. I encourage you to make this prayer specifically for yourself um, and for our congregation. Pray Ephesians 3 over yourself, over the one sitting next to you in your family. For this reason, Lord, we kneel before you. things are taking place, Lord, would you dwell in our hearts? God, be the one who guides our hearts, who guides our minds, who guides our ambitions and our desires. God, root us in love, not in this lust for worldly power, for worldly pleasures, but heavenly power and heavenly love, Lord. Considering our own lives not worth taking advantage of, Lord, but like you, Jesus, offering them up. As we seek to live love, Lord, would you reveal more and more each day the depth, the width, the height of your love for us, even for me, Lord. And might I be filled with all your fullness, God. Lord, we pray for political leaders. I ask you to pray for political leaders. Put their names on your mouth, uh, the Republicans and the Democrats and the others in America. As you pray in this moment, put their names on your mouth and pray that they would be blessed in the way that the Lord would have us be blessed.
With all of the uncertainty that it holds, let's pray this prayer. Stand up with me, if you will. Let's pray this prayer for the future of America. Um, that knowing that we don't know, in the coming days, might these things be the mark of our nation and might they be the mark of the church in our nation. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you, this country of America, with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in the hearts of all Americans through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, big enough for any and all. And to know that this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now to him we pray together, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. It's as if God is making his appeal through you. Go and be his ambassadors in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God bless you.